Well, good morning. Welcome to our second service today. We're so glad you're with us this morning. I want to welcome those who are joining us online as well. And just one more thing on this one summer, the little, if you'll take those with you today, two ways you can use them. One, you can put them on your refrigerator with a magnet and uh, help you remember. But the better way to use it is give it to a friend, give it to a neighbor, give it to a coworker, give it to a classmate, invite them this summer. We'd love for them to join us for the fun that we're going to have. It's going to be a great summer. Hope you'll join us. I have a couple, uh, don't always get the opportunity to do this. If you're new with us today, I certainly want to welcome you. But there's couple of our guests, special guests that we have with us in our service here today. Uh, one I want to recognize, he didn't ask for it, but I didn't ask for his permission, is Jay and Janet Hawes and their family. They are pastors of our Newton Church of the Nazarene. He, they're on sabbatical for a, a little season, and so just getting a chance to rest and recover. And I think they must have thought this isn't too exhausting to come join us today. So we're so glad that you're with us today and hope you're having a great, some great family times together this summer. A great, great pastor over there, Newton, that we're blessed to have. And then the other one that I want to recognize, I didn't ask for her permission either, is Mackenzie Tamez, and she is, will be my daughter's roommate this next year in college. Uh, that's not the big deal of that being roommates next year in college. It's that she is someone that you know because we've prayed for her, we prayed for her dad, we prayed for her family. And so you might have remembered, for those of you that are new, we play, prayed for several months for uh, Pastor Javier Tamez, a former youth pastor of this church over 25 years ago, and uh, succumbed to his COVID on January 2nd of this last year. So it's been a tough uh, 2021, but I'm so stupid. I shouldn't even bring this up, and then, then I wouldn't have to do this. It's just an honor to have you and a blessing to have you here. And we prayed, and I don't understand why God doesn't answer some prayers and neither does their family. But we trust God. And they've continued to trust God. And we still, I still wear my bracelet, many of you do, that God's got this. And we know that God, God has the Tamez family. Their mom and is moving to uh, Chicago. She's an American Airlines stewardess. And they're going to be closer to them here come August 1st. But so blessed um, to have them as a, as a part of our day here today. And just what a blessing you've been to our family and what a blessing you've been to our daughter. And so we're just blessed to have you here today. They um, are amazing. They're here this morning along with Cooper who is playing drums today and Sam who came here early this morning uh, to greet both services. But some of our college students, they were gone all day yesterday, left at seven here in the morning from the par parking lot and they didn't get back until 2 a.m. is when I heard these girls walking through the door last night. And I'm thankful for Bra Pastor Brandon and Caitlin driving our van and another car up to Kansas City. They went to Worlds of Fun and Top Golf. And just so you know, the blessing of this is last year, uh, Pastor Brandon has been here just about a year now. Um, they started last fall, a college age kind of at their house. They had like five kids there, five students, excuse me. And uh, over the period of time, last Monday night, everything meet every Monday night, last Monday night, they had 21. They weren't going to Worlds of Fun or anything. There's 21 of our college HCC students and students home, most of them from HCC. I'm so thankful that we have uh, Pastor Brandon leading that ministry in addition to our high school ministry this last Sunday, uh, excuse me, last Wednesday, and I'm sorry, this will be the last of the infomercials. Uh, last Wednesday, we had a great level up. It was a something new that uh, they did our, our next-gen ministry of our high school, middle school, and elementary and they knocked it out of the park last week. We had nearly 200. We squeezed all these chairs in, had nearly 200 in here of adults and students 
Uh, we had 25 freshmen uh, heading up into, uh, into high school this next year. And all the kids, it was chaos. They advertised it as chaos. It was chaos. Uh, but it was fun. There was some great worship too. And then they leveled up or went to their next grade. This way we kind of leveled them up. What a just, a, how blessed we are. And just thank you for being that church that supports our young ministries through your giving helps do that. When you give, you're helping support ministries like that so young people can do what one, a mentor of mine said, Ray Johnson from California. Um, he's always said this, and I believe it more and more. The church that wins the kids wins the future. Thank you for being a church that is aiming to win the kids and the next generation so that this church and the kingdom of God has a future. So thank you for being that. Well, enough of that. Uh, let me just take us into We've been in this message series called One. It's really been a, an idea that if we get this one thing, there's a few one things that if we get those kind of settled in our hearts and our lives, it'll take care of a lot of other things. Other things will fall into place. Doesn't mean life will be perfect, but things will fall into place. Things will just work better. I found this to be true in the, in the example of my car, our uh, Honda a couple years ago. It uh, just stopped running. I mean, boom, overnight. Just no, no ignition, no nothing, no hint of this might turn over or let's get the battery. We get the cables out, nothing. I mean, nothing at all. And so I called uh, Tony. He's a board member here. He also has a shop up in Lyons. And I said, hey, I'm stuck. Can you help me? And so he brought his tow truck down here. He towed, towed it up to Lyons for, uh, he would find out when he brought it back, he, he laid it on my desk. It was like, he said, this is a $3 part. It was like a spark plug or something. I mean, literally, it was something that was so small. It cost like three bucks, and that stopped the whole car from running. I mean, one little thing, that's, that's the difference one little thing can make. And I was like, wow, thank you, Tony. I had no idea just one little thing like that that's a couple bucks. You know, how much is the bill? And he said, oh, $200. <laughs> just kidding. He didn't charge me $200. It's $199. And so... Uh, no, he didn't. He was very fair to me, but boom, just a small little part, and I was back in business, and I was up and running. One thing can make all the difference. And we've been talking about some one things, and really, Scripture has a theme of one things. It's important in Scripture. It's important in life. And uh, some of those things we've talked about, uh, for those of you that haven't been with us, we're not going to go over the messages, but some things we've talked about the last few weeks is Jesus said, one thing you lack to the self-righteous uh, self young ruler. One thing is needed, Jesus said to Martha, who was uh, complaining about her sister Mary doing all, you know, she was complaining that Martha was doing, that she was doing all the dishes and Martha wasn't helping at all. And she was like, man, you, the most important thing is that she's with me, she's in my presence. She recognizes this one thing is most needed. Then we talked about one thing I know, said the blind man. I, I was blind, but now I see. What a wonderful experience of our heart and life when we were once were blind, but now we experience the love of Jesus, and now we can see his love for us and his design for our life. And last week, uh, we took the psalmist's words, one thing I desire, one thing that I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Today, the one thing that we're talking about, today's one thing is, Put it behind you and move forward. Easier said than done, but if we can do this one thing, it'll make a huge difference in our lives. 
if we'll put that thing or things behind us, put it behind you and move forward. I had a coach um, my freshman year of college. I only had him one year, Coach Hammonds. He was near retirement. He probably saw the, the, the class that was brought in and got out while the getting was good. Um, but he was my coach one year. And uh, when he coached my brother-in-law, there was a time that I think they'd lost Baker. It always seems to be Baker, but they'd lost like 63 to nothing. And you know, after you win or lose, you watch game film so you can learn and grow and get better. He came into the team after that and uh, the next day and, and said, guys, we, we all know how bad it was. I was so depressed and so discouraged and how, and how things went yesterday. I tell you what I did and I tell you what we're going to do. He said, I took that videotape, I threw it in the trash and I went home and I smooched with my wife. Now, he's somewhere in his 60s at that time. We know all young people, when they see someone 50 like myself or older, smooch and they get all grossed out by that. They all laugh. They had a good time because, and he said, we just, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to put it behind us and we're going to move forward. It's not going to do us any good to dwell on that past. Let's move forward and let's concentrate on the future. It's the same thing that the Apostle Paul instructs to us today in Philippians 3.13 when he said, brothers and sisters, this is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole in the whole Bible, this is one of my favorites because I think if we do this, it'll make such a difference in our lives. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Paul says, put it behind you and move forward. Put it behind you. Now, the first question that kind of comes up is, what is it? Well, I think it is different for different ones of us. Our its are, are different, and we're going to talk about that. But what was Paul's it? Well, the first thing that we need to know is the it that we're going to get to at the end of this message is to know Christ. And we're going to we're going to hit that scripture at the end, but I'm, I, I maybe tried to get too cute with this message, and so I hope not to lose you. I lost myself in the first service, but I'm talking about that it. And the first it is something that we're going to get to. That it is something we're going to get to later. But before Paul could get to the it, to know Christ, he had a bunch of other it's that he had to get rid of. Are you following me so far? Okay, you're probably lost. I'm lost too, so don't feel bad. So there's, there's it's that... Are, are, are obstacles to us moving forward to what's most important. We got to get rid of those things before we can move on to the most important thing. And Paul had a list of things that he had to get over for him to experience Christ. And we're going to look at some of his list of what he had to get over in Philippians, in the same chapter, verse 4. Paul says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, and this is his list of its that he had to overcome. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Basically, he's saying, I got to get over that I feel pretty high about myself because I was born into the right family and I was born into the right country. And instead of taking the posture of I'm blessed, which is what we should as Americans, we're going to celebrate our fourth and independence next week, we should celebrate that we are blessed. God is truly, I mean, he's blessed us. We can all agree on that. But we should not confuse our blessing. We should not confuse our blessing, and I'm trying to remember the word, with being better. 
We shouldn't confuse being blessed with being better. We're not better. And Paul had gotten this place. He's like, man, I'm born into the right nation. I'm born into the right family. I got it all going for me. He didn't just consider himself blessed. He considered himself better. And he's looking hindsight. This is the transformed Paul. This is the new Paul looking back. And he said, I had to get over that. In regard to the law of Pharisee, meaning there was no one better at following uh, the commandments and the laws. I mean, he was one of the best at it. You couldn't find someone more religious, someone more righteous, at least self-righteous by his own account in comparing himself to others and the law. As for zeal, persecuting the church, um, I think he's dealing with the, the it of regret here. Because he didn't say, as for zeal, discipling the church, or as for zeal, helping others follow uh, the commands. He was like, as for zeal, persecuting the church. He had killed Christians. He had tortured Christians. He He had hurt anyone that was of the way. And he had to get over, I think, a lot of regrets when he came to Christ. As for righteousness based on the law, he was faultless. He was perfect what are your its? Your its may not be the same, but you have some its. We all have its that we have to overcome. It may be regret. It may be shame. It may be guilt. It may be things that you wish no one ever knew that, and that you never did. It may be things, your it may be things that happened to you that were not your fault, maybe something in your childhood and, and it was inflicted upon you and you have it to overcome and you might have bitterness and resentment in your it's that you have to overcome. Whatever it is, what are your it's? You may be in a crowd here today that says, I really don't know what my it is or I didn't know what the it was because we can be blinded to what it is. We can have blind spots. That's what blind spots are. Everyone else can see our blind spots, but we can't see them. Paul had blind spots. And until he had an intersection with Jesus Christ, until he had that encounter that we're going to read about in just a minute, he had a list of its, of self-righteousness, self-pride. He thought he was pretty, pretty, pretty good. And he thought he was right. He thought he did things that were good. And he ran into a problem until he encountered Christ. And in Acts chapter 9, we see the story of Saul. Now, many of us, some of us know this story of Saul. Some of us don't know the story of Saul, but Saul is the same person we just talked about. He's Paul. God changed his name. Jesus changed his name. He changed his identity because Saul was just associated with sin and suffering and brokenness. And, and, and Paul was a man of peace and God changed and Jesus changed his name and his identity, just like he changes our identity when we come to Christ. We're, we're now Christians. We take on a Christ character, a Christ name. Meanwhile, Saul, before he was Paul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues of Damascus. I mean, he's asking for letters so he can go into what was the churches so he can inflict more pain so that he could found anyone who belonged to the way, which was what was referred to as Jesus was the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told, and you'll be told what you must do. At this point, he's led by others into the city. The men traveling with Saul stood speechless. You would too. We would too. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink. At this point in the story, um, he's led away and he's told to stay put. And in the meantime, Jesus goes over to another man who's a believer, a follower of the way named Ananias. And he said, hey, I got a mission for you. I want you to go to Saul of Tarsus and I want you to tell him of what he must do next. I've I've met him on the journey. At this point, he's scared. He's thinking, why would I want to go do this? I know what this guy does to people like me. This is an incredible miracle. Don't lose sight of this incredible miracle. They were afraid of this guy. He was like a dictator. And then he has this change on this road to Damascus. Let's go to verse 17. Then Ananias, Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, which is a miracle in itself, It'd be like you calling your worst enemy, the, the person that tortured you. It'd be like Louis Zamborini in the ja Japanese prison camp and, and the bird coming to him and him saying, Brother Bird, I mean, this was, this was amazing. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look how Paul responded to this. And the way Paul responds to this, I believe, is the journey in which we should respond when God intersects us on our road. First, he saw clearly. We see this because Paul immediately, something like scales, fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up. He was baptized. He could see clearly for the first time. He thought he could see clearly. He was religious. He was, he was the champion, of, of, in his mind, of truth. He was in his mind the champion of what was right. He, he was the champion of defending against those who were wrong in his mind, but he didn't have a clear picture of himself. He saw himself as better, not as blessed. And then there came that moment that Jesus intersected him on that road, and he began to see, see clearly. Like a lot of religious people today, Paul had enough morality to keep him out of trouble. He did just enough good things to keep him out of trouble with the law, but not, a, not enough righteousness to get him into heaven. It wasn't the bad things that kept Paul from Jesus, but the good things. He had to lose his religion before he could find his salvation. Friends, we, Jesus Christ didn't come to die on a cross to save a religion. Jesus Christ came on a cross to save people. He wants a relationship. He's not interested in religion. He's not interested in our religiosity. He is interested in a relationship with you and me. So when Paul trusted Christ alone, he gave up his own self-righteousness and he gained the righteousness of Christ. The technical word for this is imputation or to put, one's, to put on to one's account. Paul basically looked at his own record and saw that he was spiritually bankrupt. He looked at Christ's record. He saw that Christ was perfect in every way. But when Paul trusted Christ's righteousness and not his own, 
Christ was imputed on Paul, and Christ's righteousness was given to Paul's account, and what was in Paul's account was given to Christ's account, and the sin that was upon Paul was placed upon Christ. I would say it maybe this way, is it's like being financially bankrupt to the worst degree possible. Imagine being so financially bankrupt that you had to steal, you had to do things, you had to break the law in order to, to, to survive and eventually caught up with you. You're so financially bankrupt that you're sitting in a courtroom, you're sitting before the judge, the prosecutor has a slam closed door uh, case against you. You have no defense and the judge announces the verdict. You are guilty and you're not just guilty of paying back some money, but you're gonna have to do some time. You're gonna have to pay a penalty for this. And imagine maybe one of the richest people in the world walking into the courtroom at that time. Let's say it's Jeff Bezos, Amazon. And he walks into the courtroom. He says, excuse me, judge, uh, but Ken over here, um, I, I want to pay, pay to get out of his bankruptcy and debt. I want to pay it all. I have the money. I can do it. And the judge says, that's all fine and dandy, but Kent's got to pay. He's got to pay for his crimes. The law requires that he pay for what he has done. So there's got to be prison time here. Imagine Jeff Bezos stepping in and saying, hey, Kent here, um, judge, I get it. I'm going to step in for Kent. He's, I'm going to pay the price for him. I'm going to pay his prison sentence. I'm going to pay the penalty that he has coming to him. And I'm going to, and I'm, I'm going to give him everything that I have. And now I'm standing over here. Jeff is Bezos, we're on first name basis now. Jeff is standing over here. And as he's standing there, he's going to prison. I'm not. I've been set free. And he's given me his trillions of dollars. He's left me with the greatest wealth. And you listen to that story and you think, that's a fairy tale. That would never happen. That's not possible. And it's not in this world that we live in. But it is possible, and that's what Jesus exactly did for us. For I was sitting, and I stand in the judgment seat, or I stand in the, in the defense, and the prosecutor, the devil, the Satan is the accuser, and, and he has a lock key defense uh, uh, prosecution against me. I'm guilty. I have no defense. He looks at God the Father and he says, Kent's guilty and, uh, and there's agreement. Yes, Kent has to pay this price. He has to pay this penalty. He, 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 there's no escape clause here. There's no passing go and collecting $200 or go directly. There's, he's going directly to jail. And Jesus steps into our courtroom. He comes in and puts his arms around us. He steps next to us. And he looks at God with the Father and he looks at the accuser and he said, I understand, but I'm willing to pay all this debt. I'm willing to pay for him to get out there. But there's got to be a, a penalty and price. I'll pay that penalty. I'll pay that price. I'll pay with my life, but set Kent free. That's what happens to us. Christ takes on our sin. We take on his righteousness. We stand faultless before the Father, not because of what we've done, but because what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. And in this moment, Paul has an aha moment. You would too if the light blinded you on the road that you were walking down. In this aha moment, Paul realizes, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm not righteous. My righteousness is but filthy rags compared to a holy God. You see, when we see ourselves clearly as Paul now sees, saw himself clearly, it's a, it's a blessing, not a curse to see ourselves clearly. 
It's a blessing when we understand that we need mercy. For when the moment that we realize that we are in need of help, that's when mercy shows up. Secondly, secondly, afterwards, he was baptized immediately. We're going to have some baptisms in July, not just next week, because we're going to celebrate new life. When we, when we experience the new life of Christ, it's already ta- taken place inside, but we outwardly express what God has done in, in us immediately. After the scales fell off, he got up and he was baptized. Then the third part of his journey that I think should be our part of our journey is we got to regain our strength. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples. He was, he's, you know, sin wears you out. It leaves you exhausted. It leaves you empty. So when you come to Christ, then that's when we begin to feed on his word. And that's when we begin to feed in our prayer. And that's when we begin, our spirits get replenished and we begin to be refreshed. And then the fourth thing Paul did was he spent time with other believers. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Here he was. He just became a follower of Jesus. He had been fighting the way. He'd been fighting against God. Now he's with God. And all these disciples must be dumbfounded that this guy is in their presence. But he's wanting to glean from them and learn from them. And friends, we need to do the same. We need other believers in our lives. We need the church. We're not meant to be Lone Ranger Christians. We need one another. I would encourage no, no uh, guilt or condemnation or anything like that. Please don't take it this way. But those watching online today, I, I would encourage you, you need more than a television set in front of you. You need fellow believers. And fellow believers need you. We were meant for one another. We were meant for relationship. And, and we die at the vine if we don't have fellowship and relationship with other believers. And Paul regained his strength. He spent time with other believers. And the last thing he did, he immediately shared the good news. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. He immediately began to tell the story of the good news of what the gospel, what God had done for him. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't do any training. He just started sharing what God had done for him and his story. Of, and the same is true for us. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need any kind of degree to be the expert to tell your story. No one knows your story better than you know your story. You're the expert of what God has done in your life. I'm not the expert of what God has done in your life. You're the expert of what God has done in your life. And we don't have to convince other people. We're simply called to be a witness to share what God has done for us. And Paul began to do that on his journey. Now, Paul could have focused on his past sins and regrets, those it's in his life. But again, here's where he focused on, Philippians 4, uh, 3.13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it. Basically saying, hey, I'm not there yet. This is the transformed Paul. This is the growing Paul. This is the vibrant Paul. But this is still the Paul until he gets to heaven. He's not there yet. And he said, hey, I, I haven't yet taken hold of it. I'm not there yet. It's okay that we're not there yet, but get on the road, get on the journey. But one thing I do, one thing, if we'll do this one thing, God will make such a difference in our lives if you'll let yourself off the hook. God's letting you off the hook. Why don't you let yourself off the hook? Forget what is behind and strain what it, towards what is ahead. We, we have to put it behind us. Paul says, put it behind you and move forward. In fact, Paul didn't look back. And if Paul didn't look back, neither should we.
We should be looking forward. Followers of Jesus, we should be forward-looking people. We're not meant to look back. We're meant to look forward. Friends, put it behind you, move forward, and then keep going. Philippians 3.14, Paul says, I press on. I keep going towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Reminded, he's not there yet. He just has told us he's not there yet. But one thing he says, he's going to put the past behind so he can strain towards the goal. If we strain towards the goal, we're going to win more than we're going to lose. You know, the, the Greeks used to describe this as a hunter eagerly pursuing his prey. Or I press is the same verb translated, I follow after. Or what the Greeks used to describe as a hunter eagerly pursuing his prey. One focus, one mind. The athlete, the trained athlete becomes, begins to have one focus, one mindset. Uh, back in the day, when you could say I was somewhat of an athlete, I was going into my sophomore year of high school, and I had a decision to make. I went to a large, Topeka West, I went to a large 6A school. I didn't feel like I was as gifted uh, athletically as some of my other friends. And so I thought I had a decision to make. I was playing basketball. Our team had gone 14-0 and on our freshman year. I was the sixth man off the bench. I know this is a shock to all of you. And then, because I haven't talked about much of, you know, my basketball abilities. But I, I had some game. I had, John, I had some game in the day. You, you probably had some game in the day. I was the sixth man off the bench. I wasn't the best, but I wasn't the worst. But at the end of that year, heading into my sophomore year, I'd looked at some of the other players, and I just felt like I, I, felt like I wasn't going to get a touch of the field if I tried to play both sports. Now, his kids, they're talented. They can play all the sports. I wasn't greatly talented like that. I was the, the two-talent person, not the five-talent. And so I, I was trying to make my two talents into four. And so I made a decision at the end of that year, as much as I love basketball, I chose to stop playing. I started lifting weights. I started getting ready for football and doing everything I could. And really for me, you know, two years of kindergarten, I wasn't the smartest tool in the shed. I, 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 I did understand some math. And I knew that basketball, five people played at the time, at a time. And in football, 22 were going to touch the field in the game if you had offense and defense. It was a numbers game for me, and I chose to play football, and I chose to go that direction. But it's a, it's a focus. Now, I've, I had my failures in football. You know about them. Um, I, I, had, I had things where I didn't do it, and I messed up, and I made mistakes. It wasn't about being perfect, but it was about my focus. And my focus, I felt, had to be singular towards one sport. And that's the way it is for our relationship with Christ and what Paul's encouraging us to do. We're not going to be perfect. But would we make our focus singular by forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, and what is that thing? What is that one goal? Well, we're finally there. Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. That was Paul giving up basketball, going only for football. It wasn't that he's perfect. He already told us he hasn't obtained it. He's striving towards it. One thing he's doing, he's forgetting what is in his past. He's moving towards, towards the going forward. And he, this is his goal. And it should be every believer's goal. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow obtaining the resurrection of the dead. 
Friends, that's our goal, is that we would put our past behind us because Jesus has if we've asked for his forgiveness. He's put our past behind us, so why don't we put our past behind us? We shouldn't be looking back. No one drives a car well. We've said this before. No one drives forward well looking in the rearview mirror. You look in the rearview mirror too long, you're going you're gonna to crash and burn. We look forward. We just use the rearview mirror occasionally to re, maybe be a reminder, but we move forward. I want to know Christ. That's our forward. That's our goal. That's, our, that's where we're moving, to know the power of his resurrection, even sharing in his suffering. I don't like suffering. But in Christ, even our suffering has purpose. We're going to go through difficult things, no matter whether we're good or bad. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the, on the just and the unjust, which just means good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people and vice versa. But for the believer, for the Christian, we have purpose in our suffering. I've seen it played out in your life, Mackenzie. I've seen it played out in your family's life, your mom's life, with the service, and to see that the last thing that Javier, Pastor Javier, said to his family in that text before he went on that ventilator, God's got this. God didn't answer it in the way that they were hoping, but God still has them. Guarantee you God has Javier right now. He's having him a good time more than we are, even in our suffering. And I share that because I've been able to see a life that's lived that out in front of my daughter this last year. God wants us to experience the, the power of his resurrection. Paul wasn't just looking towards a future resurrection. He wanted to experience the power of the resurrection now. He believed that God had power for him to live the victorious life now. Even when he was in prison, even when he was beaten, his suffering, he had the power of the resurrection on his side He, because he wanted to know Christ. That was his sole ambition. That was his sole aim. And if we will make our sole aim, our sole ambition, that we would know Christ, everything else will fall into place and take care of itself. Even our suffering, even in death, God will use it for his glory and for his purpose. Friends, my encouragement to you today is this. For some of you, maybe not all of you, some of you probably moved on, but for some of you here this morning and some of you watched online, you need to let it go. You need to let it go. You need to let yourself off the hook. You need to forgive yourself because Christ has forgiven you. You need to forgive someone else and let them off the hook because Christ wants to forgive them. You're called to forgive as he is forgiven. Not easy, but you need to let them off. And when you let them off the hook, you're letting yourself off the hook. We need to believe in the power of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection that if we truly as believers believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and, and there's power in the resurrection, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, then he can raise your marriage from the dead. Do we believe that? If God raised Jesus from the dead, he can bring your prodigal child back home and he can, he can bring them back to life. We have to believe in the power of the resurrection. Now, it always happens in our, in our timing. It doesn't always work out the way that we prayed for it. But we believe even in death and the power of the resurrection that we are the people of victory, we are the people of life, we are the people of hope. 
because of what God has done for us and paying the penalty for our sin on the cross. So friends, let it go. Whatever it is, let it go. And then look forward. Some of you need to hear this. I don't, I don't know. I don't know who I'm talking to, but someone needs to hear this. Two things. God's more interested in your future than he is your past. And I just believe this too. Better days are ahead. Better days are ahead. I can say that confidently no matter the situation because I know the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his power. And I know we get the final victory. But better days are ahead. Someone needs to hear that word from the Lord today. Better days are ahead. Hang in there. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Press on. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your price that you paid on the cross that you took our place. You paid our penalty. You don't want us to be stuck in the past. You have a future for us. You have plans for us. But Lord, we can't move into those plans and we can't move into that future when we don't let it go, when we don't put it behind us. Would you help us as Paul? Paul is our, a great example of what it is to put it behind us. Even in prison, he put it behind us, behind him, and he focused on the future. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, there's no one looking around. We're going to sing a song here in a moment. You know, I didn't do this first service, but I just want to open an altars, the altars, when we uh, pray. What, what are the altars? You may be new here today and go, what, what is he talking about? There's these black benches up in front of me nothing magical about them. They're just a good place to commit some things to the Lord, to pray, to ask God to help you. And I'm going to say that these altars on my right and your left, those are altars that if you want a pastor or someone to pray with you, that you would go to these altars on my, actually, let's do this. The altars on my inside, the two inside ones, if you would like someone to pray with you or a pastor to pray with you, come to those altars. If you would like someone, you just want to come pray and have alone time with God, the outside altars, and you can go back to your seat when you're ready. Father, I just believe you've spoken today. I, I believe that you've spoken to maybe someone online today. And though they can't commit themselves to submission and a prayer at the altar this morning, they can they can kneel down at their couch. They can humble their hearts before you. It's not important where. It's important what you do in and through us. God, I, I'm just praying for some breakthroughs for some of my friends today. I don't know what their it is. It could be good things. Paul had good things that were keeping him from moving forward. He came from a good family. He came from a good heritage. He came from a, a good background. But it was a hindrance to focusing on Christ. So Lord, I pray in these next few moments, Lord, if there's anyone that just wants to draw closer to you, they want to, they want to know Christ. Maybe that would be the, the challenge today, that we would want to know Christ. Maybe we'd want to come to this altar and just by doing so, we're just saying, I want to know you. I want to know you more. I want to know you better. 
I want to experience more of you and more of your love and more of your forgiveness and more of your grace, more of your tenderness, more of your gentleness, more of your compassion, more of your kindness, more of your self-control, whatever it may be. God, would you meet with us today in Jesus' name.